this morning that I want us to read, and the first is a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Then from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young person keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And a reading from Romans chapter 15, verses 4. Verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And finally, a reading, short reading from Colossians chapter three, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. We've launched into a year through the Bible. Many of you um, began your reading through the Bible four days ago. I know you have because I can see the looks of desperation and utter confusion on faces. So I know you're doing it. Uh, I once heard uh, one source estimated that to read from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Revelation 22, that's the whole Bible, takes 80 hours. I don't know how accurate that is, but I, I share it just to say that reading through all of God's word, all of it is not impossible, and to kind of give it some perspective. Today, I want to help us get into it by giving us... uh, the large view of the big story of the Bible and some help in our approach to our reading it. Um, You know, when we walk around, when we drive around our city, our communities, we see the world from one perspective. But if you get in a car and you drive across or up and down these United States of ours, the whole country, you get another perspective of where we live. 
Um, people often tell me they get an appreciation for the diversity and for the spirit and the vastness of this country when they've driven through the United States. And then if we were to go on an airplane and fly up at 30,000 feet, we would get a whole nother perspective on where we live and Salt Lake City, Utah and this whole country of ours, wouldn't we? We would see the mountains, we'd see the valleys, we'd see the wide open spaces, we'd see the cities. Well, as we read through the Bible, we want to get the big perspective. We want to fly over the Bible this year at 30,000 feet. And this is why we're going through God's big story. Number one, to learn, to simply learn and see what is the content of the Bible, what is in there. And to foster biblical literacy within our own church. Second, we're doing it to get an understanding of how all, the, all those different verses and the passages and the chapters and the books fit together into that larger story. And then third, we want to find our place in that story, our place in that story. G.K. Chesterton once said, I always felt life first as a story. And he said, and if there's a story, there's a storyteller. When God wanted to tell us about himself and he wanted to tell us about us, he didn't send an argument. He sent a story. That is what the Bible is. And that's what we want to get into this year. Let me start by talking about the diversity of the Bible. The Bible is often considered a single book, which it is. But it might be helpful to think of the Bible as a library of 66 books. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for Bible means the books. It's a plural word. It means the books. Those 66 books were written by different people in different times in different places. This library was written by religious scribes. It was written by shepherds, by fishermen, by kings, by people who were very educated, by people who were not very educated at all. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years, at least. At least 1,600 years, and maybe a lot more than that. These books, 66 books, contain all kinds of different writing. They contain history, law, civic codes and records, poetry, stories, songs, They contain prayers and prophecies and letters. They contain genealogies and visions and gospels. There isn't much of life that the Bible doesn't touch on. I think it touches probably on everything. On God. On people. It touches on good and evil and money and sex and power and politics. The Bible touches on healing and tragedy and grief. Life, death, marriage, divorce, children, food, clothing. It touches on music. It touches on prayer, doubt, faith, love, and hope. Among many other things. The structure of the Bible. Take out your Bibles where you sit it or find it on your electronic, whatever it is you carry around. Or open your Bible and open to the table of contents. Just one of those first pages the table of contents that lists all the books of the Bible in order. You will notice there's an Old Testament. 
which is about everything before Jesus. And actually, you'll notice about two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament, the larger part of it. And then there is a New Testament, which starts with Jesus and then goes from there. Now, testament means covenant. A covenant is a relationship of loyalty between two different parties. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is about how people related to God before the time of Jesus Christ, particularly how they related to God through the Jewish law and the keeping of that. The New Testament, the New Covenant, is how people related to God through Jesus Christ, after the time of Jesus, through the forgiveness of sins and through his sacrificed life. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is arranged like this in kind of four basic subsections. The first five books of the Bible, um, Genesis through Deuteronomy, are called the Torah, which is a Hebrew word that doesn't mean exactly law, but it has to do with law. In those books, we find the law and the regulations of God. We find the big events about Abraham and his life and Moses and his life and the wanderings of God's people through the wilderness as he's trying to bring them to his promised land. Those five books are sometimes called the Pentateuch as well. Penta means five, and it means the five books. And these are, these were, these are foundational to the Jews and to the Jewish faith. And they are to Christians as well. Now, next section of book, Joshua through Esther. You see those books? Joshua through Esther are often called the historical books. Why? Because they cover the history of the people of God. Then you have Job through the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And these are called sometimes the writings. They are writings of wisdom, prayers, songs, uh, and just stuff about life in general. And then the last section of the Old Testament, Isaiah through Malachi, is called the prophets. Each one of them is named for a particular prophet whose words, whose preaching we find in that particular book. Those are the prophets. Those are the four basic divisions of the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament begins with four Gospels, which are the only firsthand reliable accounts that we have of the life and the teaching of Jesus. After those four Gospels comes one book called Acts or the Acts of the Apostles, which is kind of a follow-up to the Gospels, but it's the story of now what happens after Jesus and the beginning of the church and the growth of the first church, the first Christians. Then you have Romans through Jude. whole bunch of books. All of those are letters. They are letters to individuals or they are letters to churches, most of which were written by the Apostle Paul, but a few others written by other disciples. And finally, Revelation, last book of the Bible, a book which is a vision which is given to the Apostle John from God about God's ultimate victory over everything that is wrong and evil and the establishing of his kingdom in this world. There you have it, the brief structure of the Bible. Now, if you're, there are some things that are hard for us to understand as we read the Bible. Remember, the Bible is thousands of years old, written in ancient languages that no one speaks anymore, taking place in a culture where there are um, symbols and images 
and practices that uh, are very ancient. Now, ancient linguistic study and archaeology and historical research, literary studies are all things that help us understand the Bible. And part of the wonder and the energy of the Bible is that God is speaking and still speaks through all of it. It is written by human beings, but it is divine. It is God's word. And when we read with faith and when we read with the guidance of God's spirit, his word comes to us. Everything in the Bible is orchestrated by God's Holy Spirit to tell us the story of how God is putting this world right and how he's reconciling us to him. The drama of the Bible. Here is how the big story unfolds in a nutshell, okay? God creates the universe and he creates man and woman in his image. His intention is for us to live in a trusting relationship with him and in harmony with the world. But Adam and Eve decide to choose against God and do what they think is best and it breaks the relationship. And a curse of brokenness is upon people and upon the earth. But God doesn't give up on us, nor does he give up on the world. Through a man named Abraham, God brings forth a particular people who he makes his special people, who he creates to bless all the other peoples of the earth. Abraham's descendants are enslaved in Egypt and God rescues them. That people is called Israel. God makes a covenant with Israel and he calls them to show the rest of the world what it means to follow God. But he warns them, now, if you're not faithful to this covenant, you'll lose your land, you'll lose your independence. There's going to be a problem. Israel struggles. They end up not fulfilling their part of the covenant. God sends prophets to warn them, to speak to them. To live obediently, to return to him. Doesn't happen. And Israel is conquered. They lose their home. They lose their land. They lose their temple. They are ruled by pagan nations. But the hope, the hope is that someday Israel will be restored. And that's going to happen, the prophets say, when God sends his anointed one, the Messiah. Then, and this should sound familiar, a child is born to Jewish parents in the Roman Empire. It is Jesus who is God come in the flesh. He shows what God is all about by the way he lives and the things he says. He teaches, he heals, he welcomes those who were thought to be cursed by God, preaches about forgiveness of sins and claims to have come from the Father. He's eventually crucified on a cross, taking upon himself the full force of evil, emptying it of its power. His death is reversed when God raises him to life. And an important thing to know and see as you're reading any part of the Bible is that Jesus fulfills the story of Israel in his life and in his actions. He fulfills everything God intended to happen in the first place. And he gives humanity a new start. God wants the news of his victory and the new way of relating to him to spread. And so he sends his spirit upon this new people, the church, And those who belong to Christ are his church and his church is to proclaim with life and with words this message. Much of the New Testament is about how we do that. 
God's kingdom is coming, but for now, brokenness and evil continue. We live waiting for the final reign of Christ to be established, which is what the book of Revelation reveals to us. That is a very brief walk through the big drama of the Bible, of God's big story. Uh, Jerry Sitzer, a historian, a theologian, notes that this drama has tremendous grandeur to it. It has intrigue. It has heroism. It has villainy. It has tragedy. It has incredible triumph. It reaches across centuries, continents, and empires. It's like a vast, huge mountain range that stretches before us. But like uh, any huge landscape, there's always a thousand little scenes of lakes and trees and canyons and cliffs and streams and meadows. And the big story of redemption is really just made of a lot of little stories that we read about when we start reading the Bible. They often involve unnamed people, unknown people, living in small corners of the world doing good deeds hardly worthy of notice. Now, we read the Bible 2,000 years after it ended. But the characters we read about, they did not have the vantage point that we have because they were living inside the story. Think about it. There was much they couldn't see. There was much they did not know. They were trying to piece together various clues. And, that, and sometimes those clues could be more confusing than they could be clarifying. Still, they chose to believe that their lives were caught up in a bigger story. They chose to trust God and follow him into an unknown future, however slim the evidence of a bigger story that could make sense out of their little ones. I think becoming familiar with God's bigger story can help us make sense of our smaller, littler stories. It won't solve all our problems. Knowing God's big story is not going to answer all of our questions. But it can give us perspective in times of trouble. It can give us hope in times of suffering. It can give us courage in times of fear. Reading about how Abraham steps out in faith, not knowing where he's going, can help us when we need to step out into an unknown future. Reading about Moses, a fallible, scared person, can bring us strength when we are called to lead something. Reading about Ruth can help us see how even small and seemingly insignificant lives can be used in big ways by God. Reading about the promises of Jesus can fill our hearts with peace as well as challenge our comfortable lifestyles. Reading, about the, reading in the Psalms can help us pray, can help us learn the language and the words to use when we address God. Reading about Paul, and he wrote many things, can help us understand God's big plan and that God works in all things together for good for those who do love him. One of the things Paul writes is that everything written beforehand, before us, and he was speaking of the Old Testament. He says everything written was for our instruction as well. And these writings bring steadfastness and strength and encouragement and hope to us. Okay, here's some tips for reading the Bible. First of all, get a good Bible. Now, by that, I don't mean a good translation, of which there are many, but I mean, get a Bible you like to look at. 
that feels good in your hands, that, that, that looks good to your eyes, that has features and things that are attractive to you because I think we tend to use things more when they are valuable to us. The cheaper the thing, sometimes we don't use it as much. So that's what I mean by get a good Bible. Second of all, we are reading for breadth and width to get the big picture. We're not studying. We are reading. We can come back and study and get the details later. We can study all our lives. But for now, just read. Next tip. Pay attention to the type of writing. To the, what's sometimes called the genre. I mean, uh, am I reading a story? Or am I reading a letter? Am I reading history? Uh, is this wisdom for life? Is this a vision? If, is this a teaching? That can help sometimes in our understanding. Another tip to help our understanding is pay attention to the context. Am I reading something from the time of Moses? Am I reading something from the time of Jesus? Uh, What's the larger? What's the main point of this book? That helps our understanding too. At certain times as we read, asking certain key questions can help work through a passage. For example, here's some questions to ask yourself when you read in the Bible. Who is in this? Who are the people? Who are the characters? Number two, what is being said or done? What's the action? What's happening? Number three, where is this happening? Fourth, how is something being lived out? Or ask yourself, why is this taking place? Or I think the most important question, I always ask myself this when I'm reading something in the Bible. What does this tell me about God? You won't understand everything you read in the Bible. There will be places and names that mean absolutely nothing to you. That's okay. No one understands everything at the first reading or the second reading or even the third reading. It's okay. Pay attention to what you do understand, not what you don't understand, because there will be plenty that you do get. There will be plenty that does connect with you. Here's another thing. Find a place and a time that is yours and you're not going to get distracted. Because you can't do this on the run. Or while you're making breakfast. While you're doing the laundry. Just find your place. You will hit slumps. That's okay. Just work and read through those slumps. Just keep going. It will not always be easy. It will be difficult to read the Bible at times. Lots of questions will come. You will read some very violent things. You will read about some things that you say, I can't believe that's in the Bible. You will read about some things that just make you very uncomfortable and that aren't so nice. It's okay to skim through the genealogies and the lists. You will still get into heaven. Uh, There will not be a test on those lists on the day you stand before the Lord. It's okay to skim. Don't skip, but skim. As you read the stories, the ideas, the books, keep asking, how does this fit into the whole? What is this big story? How does it fit into the big picture? Here's something I would encourage you to do. Consider keeping a journal or a notebook. Write down passages you like. Write down questions you have. Write down uh, observations that you make about what you're reading. Maybe bring that notebook on Sundays so when you hear the sermons, when you go to the Sunday morning class, uh, you can record things that you hear that help you in your reading. 
or if you're meeting with an encouragement group and doing this with one, two, three other people, um, bring it to those times so that you can uh, write down what other people are getting from their reading and, and your discoveries. You're on a lifelong journey. I have been reading and studying and rereading and puzzling over and feeding on the Bible for a long time. I am still learning. I am still discovering. I am still asking. I am still wondering. I am still being nourished. And at the end of this spiritual exercise, you know what? You'll still be on the journey. Doesn't end. Have fun with it. Enjoy this, for God's sakes. At times, it'll be inspiring. But I tell you, there's some parts, particularly of the Old Testament, while some are just deeply interesting, some are disturbing. Some are as dry as dust. The New Testament is a little easier to read. It makes more sense to us. At times, you will think you're just surfing. At times, you'll think you're just slogging through the mud. Let's not take ourselves too seriously as we do this, okay? Let's enjoy it. And don't read just to get something out of the reading. You may not read to get into the Bible itself. Joseph Mangina teaches Bible up in college in Toronto. And he said something I think that is very helpful to keep in mind as we read the Bible. He said, the Bible is not about human doings and human problems. It is not really about us at all, but about God. And because it is about God, it has its own weird logic expressed in a strange, wonderful vocabulary. Words like election, creation, flesh, spirit, grace, law, apocalypse. Instead of just another self-help manual, the Bible offers us something far more interesting. An account of life. The only life indeed that is worth living and having. Life that comes from God. And leads to God. Final tip. Read with your mind. And read with your heart. With your mind. And with your heart. Because this is not just about getting information. This is about faith and spiritual formation as well. Psalm 119. We heard that psalmist say in that song prayer that is in the Bible about the word of God. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart. I've hidden it in my heart. When the words, when the phrases, when the ideas, when the truths get into our hearts, it infiltrates every part of our lives. Let what you read get into your mind. Let it soak down into your heart. Let it get into your bones and infiltrate your soul and become part of your living Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians that brief phrase. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Or as it reads in the message, Eugene Peterson's very contemporary translation. Let the word have the run of the house. I'm confident. I'm confident that if we are even halfway diligent in this, God is going to become bigger and greater and more real to us. And the point of reading the Bible is always, is always to know God And to love him more. To know God and to love him more. I know we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit to guide us. And bless us and enlighten us. We need the same spirit of God who got a hold of and inspired those people to write 
these words in these 66 books. We need him to also inspire our reading. So let me pray for us. And especially for those of us who are going to take this challenge, we're into this challenge, and we are reading through the Bible in 2015, in whatever way we're doing that. That may not be you, but if it is you, as I pray, I just want you to stand where you are. If you're reading through the Bible, if you're taking this challenge this year, just stand where you are. And let me pray for us and for you. Heavenly Father, since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hunger for your word. Give light to our minds by your Holy Spirit. And give grace to receive your word with with open hearts and with reverence and, and with humility. Guide our reading. Open our eyes. Enlarge our hearts and our understanding And help us to see our lives within who you are and what you have done. Through Jesus Christ, the living word of God, I pray this. Amen. The song we're about to sing speaks of God's creation. And we don't call God a creator.